words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this week was the 100th anniversary of a famous poem by an American poet. Uh, did you hear this? Do you know who it, who it was and what poem it was? It was Robert Frost. That's right. The road not taken. Um, remember the last lines of, of that poem, if you had to study it in school or memorize it like I did. The last lines, two roads diverge in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I thought about that as we, uh, I read these last uh, verses in John chapter 6. We've been going through John 6 for, this is the fifth week we've been studying uh, John chapter 6. And I hope you've found it as uh, enriching and, and rewarding as I have studying it. But as we get to the end of John 6 here, we see that there are two groups that are forming. And they're going in different directions. Two different paths that they could follow. And uh, one group decides to stay on the path of following Jesus, and the other group uh, turns away. They turn away, and they go their own way. And what's at stake in this choice, the difference this choice makes, uh, Jesus says, is one of eternal life. And he is the bread of life, and if you come to him and feed on him, find your satisfaction in him then you'll have eternal life. If you take him in, take in the sacrifice that he provides on the cross, then you'll have eternal life. And so uh, the, the theme here, the, the point is that we all come to a fork in the road of life and we have to decide, do we believe Jesus' words? That he is the bread of life. That he will give us the ultimate happiness and satisfaction that we long for. Or we will we seek, and and that choice confronts us. I think uh, throughout life, it's a question of do we continue to believe, not just once, but do we continue to believe the Lord Jesus, and do we continue to feed on Him as the bread of life? So we have these two groups: one group that turned away and no longer walked with Jesus. And then we have the group of the 12 who, except for Judas, of course, stayed on the path with Christ. And I want to look at these two groups and uh, talk about the choices that they made. First of all, let's look at this group that turned away from Christ. There was a, really a mass defection of Jesus' disciples. Um, and the point that I want to make, the simple point here at the outset is that these folks who left Jesus were once counted as disciples of Christ. Verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? John says that they were disciples. And then verse 66, here we see the defection. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so the, the point here is that you can be counted as a disciple of Christ at one point in your life and then decide to go another way. And if you've been in the church uh, for any length of time, you've seen this happen. People will come into the church. They'll make a profession of faith, maybe enthusiastically so. And they become part of the fellowship of the church. 
But then a choice confronts them at some point down the road. The choice to follow Jesus gets a little harder, presses against their wishes and their desires, and they're confronted with that fork in the road, and for a number of reasons or whatever reason, they decide to turn and walk away. And they, they no longer partake. They're no longer part of the body of Christ. And it's a tragedy when, when that happens. But it can also happen that somebody is still participating in the life of the church. They're still hearing the gospel being preached. They're still partaking of the sacraments. But in their heart of hearts and in their minds, they've turned. They've turned away from Jesus. He's no longer the, the bread of life for them. He, he, he's no longer their hope and their trust for eternity. Something has happened, something has changed. So this text, I think one of the purposes of this text is to challenge us, those of us who name the name of Christ, to stay faithful to the end, to persevere to the end, to not be like these disciples who turned their back on Jesus and walked away. It's a challenge to persevere in our faith. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew 24, verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. In our uh, passage from Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about this spiritual battle that we're all in. And he calls us to stand firm, to stay committed, to fight with the, with the weapons that God has provided us in Jesus Christ. And he says uh, towards the end in verse 18, pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, listen, with all perseverance. The Christian life is a matter of a long obedience in the same direction, to use the title of a book. A long obedience in the same direction. Not a sprint, a marathon of continuing to come back to Christ and his words and believing in him and persevering. And God gives us the means of grace to do that and the weapons of spiritual warfare because we're caught up in this battle. There are things in the world, there are temptations, there are alternatives to the bread of life that we can start to get hungry for. We can be tempted to take those things their ultimate satisfaction and happiness and we find it's empty at the end, empty calories. But Jesus says, if you come to me and keep coming to me, I am the bread of life. You'll find eternal happiness and satisfaction in your life. You'll experience that even now as a foretaste of heaven. So that's the challenge here, to persevere. But why exactly did this group of disciples stop following Jesus? What was the crux here it was that they found it difficult to accept his words, to accept his teaching. He had been talking about his death as a sacrifice. He had been talking about the necessity for them to eat his flesh and to drink his blood, to take that sacrifice into their lives, to appropriate his life and death for their very life. And they found that hard to believe. They found that hard to accept. They rejected the word of Christ. They struggled with the word of Christ. And so they grumbled. You can actually trace the grumbling here in John chapter 6 to see what it was that people found it difficult, the, the, the stumbling blocks in Jesus' teaching. We have one group, an, an earlier group in verse 41, 
If you have your Bibles open to John 6, you can see this. But in verse 41, there's another group that grumbled against Jesus. And this was the religious leaders and those who were influenced by them. Verse 41, so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread, of, uh, the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say that he came down from heaven? He's human. We've seen him. We know who his family is. So they stumbled over the incarnation, the mystery of the incarnation. It was offensive to them. And they grumbled. They had a hard time with that teaching. And I think sometimes we have a hard time, certainly our culture does, with this teaching that God incarnate came in the person, that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, this man from Nazareth. We want something more dramatic, something more grandiose, if God's going to speak to us. But God comes to us in humility, in the person of Christ. He comes to humble hearts who will receive the revelation where he has uh, given it. And so they grumbled about that, and then we see here that they grumble again, this different group of disciples grumbling against Jesus' teaching that, uh, that they must feed on him, that he is the bread of life that will live forever. Perhaps there were some people whistling at the same time. That was <laughs> It happens. I think that'll do it. Worse things have happened, Sue. That's okay. That's fine. We'll move on. This grumbling group, Jesus says to this uh, grumbling group, if you think that's, the, if you think that's hard, it can get, it's going to get even harder. It could be, there's even a, a greater stumbling block ahead. But I, I want to go back. That kind of threw me off here. I'm going to go back to where I was at. <laughs> Give me a break. Um, I think one of the first signs, the, one of the first symptoms of starting to fall away from Christ is to have a difficulty receiving his word, to turn from his word, to not accept his teaching. And sometimes we might be tempted to do that, to ignore the teaching of Jesus, Sometimes we might be tempted to replace or edit the teaching of Jesus Christ when his words are hard, when they go against our wisdom or our culture's wisdom. We might want to replace the teaching of Christ. Sometimes we can doubt that these words that we have in the New Testament are the words of Christ. And there's a, there's a movement today. There, there are scholars today who will say, what you have in the New Testament, you can't trust. It's not really the words of Jesus. These are Oh, these are reports that have come down from oral tradition. And so you don't have the words of Christ. It's like the telephone game, these scholars will say. You play the telephone game, you, you get a group of kids together in a room, and you start off with one set of facts, and then you, they whisper it to the next kid, and by the time it gets all around the room, it's been a garbled mess. And some scholars say it is a garbled mess. And some scholars say that's what we have with the words of Christ. You can't trust his word. Just go ahead and ignore it. Uh, there's, a, there's a scholar, by the way, named Richard Bachman, who's really a world-class New Testament scholar, and he says this in one of, his, uh, one of his books. The Gospels were written not out of a long and ever-changing oral history, but within the living memory of the events they recount. Not like the telephone game. Within the living memory of the events they recount. And then he goes on and he says this. 
they were constantly checked and supervised by those who were eyewitnesses or their followers of these events. So there are good reasons to believe that in the New Testament we have, we can be confident, a reliable account of the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. These group of grumblers continue on, and Jesus says in verse 62, actually 61, the last part of that, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was going before? And there's two ways to interpret this. One way could be if you see the ascension or when you see the ascension, then you will believe. Then your eyes would be open. But there's another uh, view which I kind of lean towards, and that is if you think it's hard now, it's going to get even harder. Because in the Gospel of John, John uses this ascension language often to teach about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, to refer to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Jesus talks about it in John 17, that when he is lifted up, that's essentially when he is lifted up, I will draw all the world to me. But before he says that, he talks about the judgment that is going to come into the world when he is lifted up. There's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a crisis. Some people will have to, everybody's going to have to decide for or against the crucified Christ. And so I think what Jesus is saying here is that if you think it's hard now, it's going to get even more difficult. I think that's where this text kind of leans or where it's going here, this conflict and this misunderstanding that's happening among the people. Well, whatever he means here in verse 62, the point of his teaching uh, from here on is very clear. He reminds this crowd that faith in him is a gift. Faith is a gift from God. It's a work of God's spirit. It is the spirit, he says, who gives life, not the flesh. It is a matter of the father drawing people to his son. That's why I told you, he says, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. So to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, to get to the point where you believe that he is the bread of life and when you're, where you're feeding on Christ, to have the eternal life of God living in you, that is a work of the Spirit of God. You don't get this by natural means. It's not by intellect or ritual or technique. It's a work of of God's spirit in your life. It's a gift of God. And if we experience that in our life, we should thank God for it. We should thank God for this gift that he's given to us, that we've come to know Christ as the bread of life. And Jesus goes on, though, to criticize them for their unbelief. He says, there are some of you who do not believe. There are some of you who still do not believe. And I think what's happening this here is Jesus is saying, yes, it takes the Father to draw you to me, but the Father is now at work, right now, here and now, in these words, the Spirit is speaking and teaching, and yet you resist. He's asking them to, to lower their resistance, to lower the walls, and to believe in what he has done and what he's saying now, and that's what we must do. When the Spirit is at work, the walls have to come down. You can't resist what God is doing. We're called to believe in the word of Christ. But these folks turned their back on Jesus. They persisted in unbelief. And that serves as a warning to us. Now let's look at these disciples who took the other road, the ones who stayed with Christ. Jesus says to them, do you want to go away too? 
And, and there's, a, there's a pathos here in, in, in really the original language is, you also don't wish to go away, do you? Yeah, the teaching is getting hard. It's getting more difficult to understand. The commitment level is getting greater. You don't also wish to go away, do you? Why did they stay? Well, the Apostle Peter becomes, once again, the spokesman for the apostles, the rest of them, for the 12. And he pipes up and he says this in verse 68. Look at what he says here. He gives three reasons for continuing to follow Jesus. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we believe and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Reason number one, where else are we going to go? I wonder if these reasons resonate with you. You're the only one to follow, Jesus is saying. There's, there's no one, or Peter is saying, there's no one else we could go to. Now, of course, there were other people that they could go to. They could go to other teachers and rabbis, but what Peter is saying is, you alone, Jesus, have shown us the love and power of God like no one else. No one else speaks with the authority of Christ. No one else had such intimate fellowship with God that they've seen. No one else has made the claims that Jesus makes and then backs them up with these miracles, these signs. And so Peter says, for us, you're the only one. You're the only game in town. You're the only spiritual leader that we're going to trust. Remember last week I was sharing about this Anglican priest who towards the end of his life was wrestling with some of the doubts and difficulties of that. And he says in this memoir that he wrote just before he died, he said, I have decided that there's no one else in human history that I'd rather trust than Jesus Christ. Jesus has made, him, uh, has made God real to me. There are good reasons to believe his claims. I've experienced the presence of God through Jesus Christ. And so even though I don't understand everything that's happening, I'm going to go with Jesus. There's no one else I would rather trust in all of human history. And I'm standing on his word. And that's what Peter is saying here. Who else should we go to? And then he goes on, he says, you have the words of eternal life. The words of Jesus are the words of God speaking to us. And Jesus makes this claim all throughout the gospel of John. When you hear me speak, it's not just my words. It is the words of God, the father. He says it in the, in the um, next chapter, actually in verse uh, 16, John 7, 16. The Jews uh, marveled, verse 15, the Jews marveled at Jesus' teaching. How is it that this man has learning? He's never studied. When, did, when has he ever studied? He didn't go to seminary. He didn't go to graduate school. How does he have such wisdom? And verse 16, Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. And over and over in the Gospel of John, he makes this claim. My words are the word of God the Father. I'm not teaching on my own accord. I'm not doing these things on my own. If you want to hear from God, listen to my words. And the Apostle Peter says, we've come to believe this, that you have the words of eternal life. Your word is true. I was thinking of an image. My kids are reading a lot of missionary biographies because they're being homeschooled this year. So we've been reading a lot of missionary biographies. And I was reading the, the biography of Jim Elliott, you know, this missionary to Ecuador. It's a famous story. Now, the, I think it was the Aka Indians, is that right, the tribe? 
But early on in his ministry, he was a missionary pilot, and he was trying to get to this village where there was another missionary there, this village in Ecuador that had been ravaged by disease. People were dying, and the missionaries had penicillin. But there was no airstrip, and there was really no way to communicate to this village uh, to get things arranged so that they could get the penicillin. So what Jim Elliott did, again, he's a pilot, he flew his plane on the outskirts of the village, and he would fly in circles, and then his missionary friend knew to run out there, and he would lower a basket. And so just imagine this little plane flying around, and then the basket comes, and and in that basket was a telephone and the wires that connected them to the airplane and to Jim Elliott. And that's how they coordinated things for a while until the airstrip was built. And I thought about that image is that that the, the message of salvation and the medicine of salvation has come down to us in Jesus Christ as a gift from God. And if we're hungry to know God and communicate with God and to receive eternal life, Jesus is saying, here I am. I'm sent from God. Believe in me. Receive from me. Trust in me. Claim me as your own. And so then the Apostle Peter says, we're going to follow you not only because you have the words of eternal life, not only because there's no one really who even comes close to who you are, but because we believe you are who you claim to be. And we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And so what Peter is expressing there is faith in Jesus' claim, faith in his identity. Throughout this gospel, Jesus makes high claims to be the Son of God and to be one with God. And Peter says, we've come to know that. We've come to believe it and we've come to know it. And so we're going to stick with you. Three reasons to stay on the path with Jesus. Three reasons to continue to go to him and come back to him time and time again and say, you're the bread of life. Verse 35 is the key to this. Before I get out of this chapter, I want to just remind you, the key to this chapter is verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I'm going to challenge you this week to put that to the test. Pray this back to the Lord Jesus. Are you hungry for other things? Are you looking to other things or other people to find ultimate satisfaction in your life? I want to challenge you to pray this to Jesus. Say, you claim here to be the bread of life, to satisfy me. Please, Lord, show me. Please, Lord, feed me. Please, Lord, give me what I need day by day to be sustained and nurtured by you. I'm going to close here with a story. I came across this a couple of weeks ago about Charles Templeton. You don't know probably who Charles Templeton is, but you know his good friend when he was growing up. He was friends with Billy Graham, and they were both evangelists about the same time in the early 1940s. And Charles Templeton got to a point in his faith where things got hard. These things, you know, just as these people said in this crowd, this is hard to understand, hard to accept. Who can, who can listen to it? Charles Templeton had a crisis of faith about the Bible and about the Word of God. And so he had this conversation with Billy Graham, and he said, Billy, I, I can't receive 
the words of Christ as the words of Christ. I don't believe that the Bible is the word of God anymore. I'm, I'm going to have to go my own way. And Billy Graham said, well, I'm, I'm going to stick with, with the scripture. You know, there are scholars on other sides who say different things, and, and I'm just going to believe that the Bible is God's word, and when I preach it as the word of God, then God blesses it, and that's how I'm going to go. That's the road I'm going down. Well, a Christian journalist, Lee Strobel, caught up with Charles Templeton just uh, a while back and to find out how he's doing and what's going on. He wrote a memoir in 1996, Charles Templeton, about why he left the Christian faith. So Lee Strobel, in the case for faith, is in the case of faith. He goes back and finds Charles Templeton. He's in his 80s now. And he asks him, what do you think about Jesus Christ? How do you assess Jesus Christ? Let me just read you some of the things that were said in this interview. He said, um, there's no question. I'm just going to read some excerpts. There's no question. This is Charles Templeton that he had the highest moral standard, the least duplicity, and the greatest compassion of any human being in history. There have been many wonderful people, but Jesus, Jesus is, he said, in my view, he's the most important human being that's ever existed. And then Strobel writes this, that's when Templeton uttered the words I never expected to hear from him, and if I may put it this way, I miss him. His voice began to crack. With that, tears flooded his eyes. He turned his head and looked downward, raising his left hand to shield his face from me. His shoulders bobbed as he wept. And then he said, well, enough of that. Enough of that. Here's a man who was walking one direction in his life. Things got difficult, and he took a turn away from Christ. It's a warning to us, and it's a call for us to pray that we would persevere and that those who we know who maybe are wobbling on the fence, that they would find Christ real in their life, that we would continue on, so that we don't ever have to get to the point where we say we miss him, but we're still feeding on him. We're still trusting him to the very end. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, call us uh, to yourself. Bring us closer to you. Help us to trust in you even when the going gets hard. Help us to come back to you time and time again and to claim you as the living bread from heaven. Help us to trust in your word to the very end. Preserve us by your grace, we pray. In your name, amen.